0: You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith.
1: Welcome back to the Fair Game podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Robert Smith. Today's guest has traveled the country with a menagerie of incredible animals. If you've been to the Western Fairs Convention or IEFE, you have seen her exhibiting her new creepy crawlies with her new attraction, Bugology. Do I have that one right? You do. I do. She joins us today from her Southern California home from Pacific Animal Productions. Carla, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me, Robert. It's great to be here.
1: So I want to get to the 2020, uh, the pandemic, and all the stuff that we've gone through here in just a second. But first, you're in Southern California. Have you been in the path of any of these wildfires?
0: Uh, This is the first year, in like six years we have not been. But
1: they're close,
0: but not by us.
1: So we're lucky and... Breaks my heart. So when you have been in the path in the past, how does that work out? You've got a lot of animals there on your property. What is What are your procedures?
0: Yeah, we have over 150 exotic animals and uh, invertebrates. We actually have parked right in front of the uh, house, a 40-foot trailer that's completely fortified for our evacuation trailer. So we practice our evacuation processes every three, four weeks. Uh, it has refrigerator, air conditioner, totally loaded with food supplies, and an enclosure for each animal. And we did that after our first evacuation. It was so mind-blowing, frightening. So now we just have it ready.
1: Well, and I guess when when you guys get the, the call for the event, you know, the order for the evacuation, you got to move quick. I watched a video on Instagram the other day of some firefighters that were staged, and the fire was like three mile four miles from them and literally in the course of about two and a half to three minutes it overtook them and they were their trucks were rushing out and to get out it was that fast
0: it's something you don't mess with the first time we learned very quickly it seems like it's not there but it it creates its own uh, environment and the winds and everything change quickly so we have two evacuation points that are pretty much all concrete surrounded and um, yeah it's it's we can evacuate 150 animals in 45 minutes. So uh, we, we go before an evacuation call. We get everything ready.
1: So do you, you guys watch the news and you kind of have your, your thumb on the pulse of what's happening? You have a feeling, you know, I think by midnight, they're going to call an evac. So we're going to do it at seven o'clock this evening. We're going to do it five hours ahead.
0: Absolutely. It's a lot better to load monkeys and raccoons and alligators in, in some type of light versus the middle of the night. So, yeah, um, we are prepared and we can load all the animals and the temperature control inside the trailer. And then if nothing, then uh, we just put them back in the morning. So, yep, we we stay prepared Um, down below us. uh, There was a huge racetrack and horses were were being able to get loaded because they didn't have enough trailers and they let them all go. And the horses ran and then ran back into their barns and a lot of them so we don't want anything like that happening and um yeah so my crew is amazing they practice this all the time the animals are really good at it
1: so with that many animals um you got to have a staff to handle them how many people do you have on staff and do you have a vet on staff with you guys
0: we have vets on call and um which are 20 minutes away but uh, my staff pre-covid was seven and now we're down to um two full-time and two extremely part-time.
1: So So, does that affect your ability to evacuate quickly if needed?
0: uh, Well, that puts Mike and I into play a lot more and I'm here all the time now. So I think we're still on the button with that. Um, And every time we practice, there's a new procedure put into place with uh, like each enclosure's numbered with uh, what carrier the animal goes into. And what we've found is when we do get evacuation notices, people call us and say, hey, I'm coming over to help. So this way we could have a layperson come on grounds and help us grab a number four carrier and put it at that animal um, enclosure, and then we'll go in and crate them.
1: Got it. So it, it might shave, just having that extra help from the community might shave eight or 12 minutes off your evac time. But if a fire's coming up over a hill, that's that be, that's too. a lot of time.
0: Right. Right. And, you know, uh, we get out a little early too, because some of these exotic animals are more sensitive with their breathing like birds. So we we can't have all the smoke in the air with them there. And we put them in the trailer with the air purifier air conditioner. So yeah, there's a lot of, there. it's a lot of stress, not only, you know, feeding and make sure you have money for it, but other outside influences like heat. And this heat this year was crazy too. Then that causes fire season. So there's a lot of things it's like having a baby with you all the time.
1: It's <laughs> just something's always changing very yeah. rapidly. So take a moment, um, Carla, if you will, for anyone listening, I think most of the people throughout, you know, Western fairs, um, understands exactly what you do and, and probably a handful of fairs throughout the rest of the country. But if you would take a moment and just share what exactly it is you do for our fair industry.
0: Well, um, it, it is ever morphing and, um, Previously, I got to do wildlife exhibits, and it's on par with a like a zoo educational exhibit that comes to different fairs and state fairs. It's hands-on interactive, where people get an opportunity to meet a lot of exotic animals, touch, pet, learn about conservation, habitats. And we've found that engaging people on a hands-on opportunity really allows them to make a connection, a personal connection, and causes a ton more caring for habitat, environment, um, situations, and and, uh, ecology calls to to action. So we also now have a bugology, as you mentioned, and we are moving a bit away from the live animal, uh, large exotics, and going towards live invertebrates, bugs, and we have- Creepy crawlies. Creepy crawlies. (laughs) We have giant animatronic um, mantis, butterfly, caterpillar, beetles ladybugs grasshoppers all these big like about seven foot tall and when you go by they're animated so they go into action and start it's very disney-like
1: when i've seen them it's very disney-like that's one thing i've got to give you huge credit for i mean anybody said
0: the d word i love that thank you
1: (laughs) and anybody um you know could get some terrariums and put some bugs in them and call it an exhibit you know but you even when you had you were doing your larger animals and your exotics, your stuff is so you uh, your production value around it. It's decorated. You really it's an immersive experience for the guests that come through that 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 display that you have.
0: Thank you. You said it perfectly, and that's what we want to create. We want them to feel like they're actually outdoors or they're. Uh, bug size we want their brains to go somewhere else other than cotton candy and carnival land and then um hopefully it leaves a lasting and memorable experience and i love the creativity of creating that immersive environment
1: you really do it really very well um the first time i remember that i was with you actually at a fair not just a convention but at a fair with your bugs exhibit was at fresno was it the uh, big fresno fair And what really impressed me is not only did you have fantastic exhibits with just with bugs. I mean, you think, Oh, you got to go bigger and broader. I mean, you have to have these large exotics to get attention, but watching little kids be look at like, Oh mom, look, that's, can you see the the walking stick? Can you see the little stick bug? Can you see, can you see the the scorpion? Can you see all these smaller things? It's really fun to watch. And then they're at that exhibit at the back, you kind of build up a little theater and do some presentations. Tell us about that.
0: So not only do they get to walk through and look and explore, but uh, several times throughout the day, we have audience interactions and um, the parents love it because we get lots of um, people up on stage, particularly children, and we do have them hold scorpions and cockroaches and tarantulas and things you're not expecting to put your hands on, yet these are um, non-venomous animals and we know they're safe for the kids and they're handled often. But it really, it's kind of mind blowing for the parents and the kids. And you know what, that's what fairs want. They want a memorable experience that those kids will talk about when they're adults and tell their kids, oh my gosh, I was here one time and these giant bugs and I held a huge vinegaroon. And then the kid asked, I don't even know what that is. So yeah, but a cool whip tailed scorpion, a vinegaroon and they have an experience they've never had before. I love doing that. Um, for me, the interaction with the peoples, how it's all started, and then I got to use my creativity and create the the environment. So the shows to me are super valuable. I can't really encourage having a an exhibit without having the interactive shows as well.
1: Yeah, you know, we live out here in uh, on the west side of Albuquerque, New Mexico, and, and you were talking about scorpions there. I know you saw some of the photos we posted um out here on the west side of albuquerque we're right on the edge of the desert i mean there's the, there's desert areas and natural landscaping in between some of these neighborhoods and i would take my son nate and my nephew connor and we'd go out at night with black lights and a lot of people don't realize that scorpions will glow under a black light they have a, a like a uv reflective something under their exoskeleton and so at first, when we would go out, I just wanted to see a scorpion, and I finally found. I was like, "Oh, this is really cool. They glow, and if you have a bright enough black light, if you just kind of shine it across the deserty area, all you'll see two, three, five, ten. All of a sudden, they're all clustered around each other." <clears throat> but that got me to going. Well, what else do I know about scorpions? Not a lot. Well, what kind of scorpion is this? Is this one? You know, luckily up here in Albuquerque, we don't have the Arizona bark scorpion, which is a pretty nasty little scorpion that's in Southern Arizona and in Southeast New Mexico or Southwest New Mexico. But then I would find out that some scorpions can live, um, a year without eating. They can slow their, their metabolic rate. Um, their dens that they build, there's always these three twists going down the chute into the den that could be 30 inches below the ground. So the cool thing for me is once I learned this stuff, we had people that would walk by at night and they'd be like, what are you guys looking at? You know, cause there's, we have all these trails that walk all go all around our neighborhood. And what is that you guys are looking at and It's a scorpion and you'd have a family that would come look and I'd tell them a couple things. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, this has got to be what Carla feels like when she's educating people and they're lighting up going, I've never seen a scorpion like that before. Is that yeah, kind of what it's like when people just Exp- like, wow, I've never seen a, an animal like that.
0: Absolutely. It's it's when the light goes off and they go, this is exciting. And then you've got this whole conversation going. And even if you don't know everything, just that shared experience is so cool discovering nature. And that's exa- that's the addictive part of it. When you just keep getting that throughout the day and see you experienced, I love it. And man, aren't those scorpions cool? That black light thing is an awesome fun experience. It, it
1: really is. And what, what kind of, um, what kills me is we'll go out looking and we're shining the light and, you know, unfortunately not, you know, this is, we're in the West side of the, of the city where, when the wind blows, trash blows and we'll be like, Oh, that's glowing. Oh, oh never mind. That's, that's a wrapper. It's a candy wrapper or something. It's a little piece of trash. <laughs> it's reflecting, <laughs> but it's really cool when you find them, um, You know, we noticed at one point we found like 35 of them in a night. They were just everywhere. And then as the temperature dipped, like maybe five or eight degrees getting into the fall, all of a sudden you could only spot little pinchers sticking out of the the very top of their burrow. And when they felt the vibration from your foot, boom, they disappear. Like like vanish, like David Copperfield. (laughs)
0: they they're just getting the last bits of their uh, summer food and usually if you're out in september and october that's when you're going to find them the most because yep. the males are out looking for the females that's breeding season so yep. they'll breed eat as much as they can go back into their dens and uh, as you said it, it gets cold and ectothermic then they can't move as fast uh, another word for cold-blooded and they'll stay in their dens when it gets really cold, they start estivating or sleeping and they don't go out to eat at all. And then wait for the, the warm summer.
1: Then March, um, April, spring. May starts to come out and they start popping out of their dens again.
0: And then babies start popping out and you'll find more again in the spring. And then it'll too hot and they'll go back into those don't um, dens and keep themselves cool. It's really amazing. I and mean, that's just talking about scorpions. There's so many cool
1: animals. Yeah. And that's, you know, when you switch to bugology, um, you know, we've, we've spoken privately about some of the reasons that you did that. And I think it's fantastic because, you know, if somebody goes to a zoo and where they live, they might see a binturong. They might see a macaw. They might see these things, but how often do you actually see a stick bug? How often do you actually see an emperor scorpion? How often do you see uh, you know, vinegar runes and some of these things that are the creepy crawlies of the night. I think it's a fantastic move for you to do that. And people seem to love it.
0: People do love it. My heart really is with my monkeys and the benturongs, but I understand the pushback. Um, society really wants, uh, born free everybody back into the wild. I think because we are so much more (laughs) captive to our environment they're being empathetic to what their natural feelings are. And when we explain to them the reasons we have the animals, not that we collected them from the wild, but uh, why they're in our care. We take animals that need permanent, full-time, long-term commitments so that they can live their lives respectfully and comfortably. That's why we take the animals where, if you will, I hate saying the word because many of the animals are not rescued, but we're a rescuer sanctuary. Some of the animals are donated to us graciously by people that had them for pets and then realized holy
1: crap, that's a lot of yeah, responsibility. Because maybe a binturong isn't a lap dog.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or they think it can be and they can afford to buy it, but then realize, oh my gosh, that thing reeks. And as it gets older, it gets mustier and territorial and
1: a little more aggressive. Things. Claws yeah, are a little bit bigger the, than a dog.
0: <laughs> yeah, a little. Yeah. And the poops are ginormous. But the the bug thing was a natural um i really like invertebrates or um arachnids invertebrates could be anything but uh, arachnids is the better general term because then you can include slugs and all that stuff but it's it is a fascinating world it's a whole nother world of um animals so was it a natural and nobody says oh my gosh let that scorpion out it's it needs more room so right actually it, it's been a nice transition, but this year changed everything. It's uh, uh, been a really, I know we'll get there, but it's been an interesting, the way um, my business has morphed back to more of its original with the changes that are coming about for 2020 and 21.
1: Yeah. I mean, I wanted to, to chat with that. That was the whole kind of purpose of the podcast is, you know, this pandemic has affected everybody worldwide in a variety of ways and and focusing specifically on the fare industry you know loss of revenue canceled fares you know entertainers out of business people that sell cotton candy you know out of business like it's a really rough time how has the pandemic affected your ability to operate
0: well um april We, uh, February and March, we actually got two fairs off. So that was great, Indio Date Festival and California Midwinter Fair. And we had our busiest um, scheduling year to date of uh, 28 fairs, which is ridiculous. And I was trying to figure out exactly how we were gonna do that, but the staff and uh, everyone was up for it. And um, then by March 19th, everything came to a screeching halt and was put on hold. Many fairs were calling by the end of April. More than half of the bookings were canceled, especially in the early spring fairs. And we sat down and had a bid meeting with all of our staff on um, possibilities, realities, and hopes. So we divided the meeting into three different things. And the reality of it, it looked very stark and foreboding. And uh, by the end of April, I was, uh, whether my knew it or not, I was in an all right, all outright panic mode, I was freaking out. So um, my crew came up with some great ideas on how we could cut costs and keep things going. But pretty much by the end of um, May, everything was canceled and we were figuring How the heck do we feed animals? So of course, a lot of that federal money came through. I didn't know if we should apply for it. It's such a scary thing if it's gonna be forgiven, are you gonna get this money and then you owe $60,000 on top of not making anything during the year. But um, that's the way we kept uh, two of our major zookeepers on our, our two primaries, my zoo manager and my social media marketing woman that's also a zookeeper and um, everyone got super creative and um i pushed to do video and not anybody not no one was excited about it because our whole thing is hands-on and reaching out and touching and uh letting people explore wildlife but we started getting a few calls on that and um, we started scrambling and doing our facebook lives to let people know Social media wise, we were still out there and still okay and give the kids something to do. And it really changed. It morphed and um, the plan kept getting better and better. So it's been a terrifying year. I look back, what is it, eight months now or nine months since?
1: Yeah, I was going to ask, do you you remember where you were on March 11th? Because that was the day that, you know, seemed to change everything. World Health said this is a pandemic and Houston canceled. And when the Houston Livestock Show canceled, I think a lot of us opened our eyes and went, Oh, Oh, this is real.
0: Yep, uh, I do. I was getting, I was asked to officiate a wedding up at Lake Tahoe. So we were flying up, we were getting on a plane with a world pandemic, right? Oh, crap. Should we be flying? I've seen this movie before. (laughs) I know. A pandemic on a plane. Landed in Reno. Everything was kind of surreal because that's where we've had our conventions a lot, and I'm used to activity there. There are a lot of people. Went up to Tahoe, um, did the wedding, which was awesome. It snowed, we were on Lake Tahoe when it all happened. And uh, then we got snowed in, which was great because then we were sequestered and then everything started falling like tops. Um, some of the big name uh, music events canceled. Yep. Things were closing. And that when when those were start, uh, canceling, I realized, the crap has hit the fan. Yeah. So um, when we went back into Reno to fly home, um, they people were walking around stunned and dazed. The restaurant we went into, uh, everybody was taking their time, hand sanitizing. No one wore a mask yet then, but they were only letting half the amount of people in. And the waitress said, "This is our last night. We're going to be closing it indefinitely. We don't know when we're going to be reopening." And that when it, it was like a sucker punch to my stomach, I'm like, Reno, no restaurant? What's happening? I don't know why it was food and in a restaurant, but it was it was so. It was to me that was the defining moment. Oh crap! Something bad's happening. And uh, flying home, just kept thinking about, wow, wow, everything's going to stop, and I still have a hundred plus animals. we're going to be feeding and i wonder if the you know delivery chain of food is going to stop or crap i don't really have a garden going and how do you feed 45 snakes when you don't have a whole rat colony going because that's what they eat so all these crazy things were going through my head and um i called a meeting right away
1: yeah so i mean as an independent contractor, you know your funding comes from getting out doing these fairs and generating revenue and then there's no revenue. I mean, it's one thing for, you know, entertainers, it, I guess it's, it's tough for me to complain about this year because we were very lucky last September. We finally were in a position that all of our business debt with developing play with giants and, and whatnot was paid off. Um, nice. and so all that for me, all that expense is paid off and the props are just sitting in, in storage, waiting to go back out on the road, your props still got to eat. So Yep. what do you do at that point when you' you are potentially looking at supply chain disruptions and a complete loss of income?
0: Uh, well, I, I feel very blessed that I had a really nice well, as you know, I'm getting ready to not be in the business world as I get older I'm thinking of an exit strategy so I have been banking for this and have had a retirement um, fund going. And I have some other retirement streams I've been working on. And like you say, many of our props and everything have been, um, uh, it's been paid for, which is great, but animals continue to eat. And so we've been using my retirement fund and that is great because the animals are getting their continued great uh, care and food, but not so great. So then, you know, that's my retirement fund. And my husband just recently retired as well. And um, so we're both working here at Pacific Animal Productions, and it did put a huge, what the heck, um, do we keep the business going? Uh, but everybody with animals is in the same situation. You know, you can't just say, hey, I've got a wrong. you need one? And they'll take it because they don't know how they're going to feed it either. Right. Then I felt bad because I did panic. And I admit that because I, I thought, oh crud, we're gonna need help from the community. And we put it out there, we put in all call, hey, please join some of our programming. We started a really unique program called Paint with Paco and Paco is our sloth. And one of my um, zookeepers is an art instructor and we started doing paint nights. And uh, we realized we weren't gonna be making tons of money with that, but if people wanted to donate, so we put a donate bus- button on there and that helped at that time too. So uh, I've, I've never asked for donations with Pacific Animal Productions in the past, and I felt creepy at first asking for that, but people were asking what they could do to help. And so um, we did get some very generous donations helping on animal feed, and then we started figuring out this this um, virtual stuff, and that started kicking in. We're still not covering all costs with that, but the animals are all getting their rats and their uh food and we still have our food delivery. That was one of our things. Maybe we'll go back to asking grocery stores for their expired foods, but we never got to that point. Our food is delivered twice a week through the same people that deliver produce and fruit and vegetables for the restaurants here in town. Mm -hmm. And um, he's kept making his deliveries. So, and the food quality is hundred percent. Anybody could eat the animal diets.
1: Wow. Well, I mean, that's the animals that don't care whether they're you know, what a fair or not, they just care that there's food in their uh, enclosure and they're ready to go with life.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's funny that you say that because we thought that too, that they're not traveling that, but uh, we did get to go out and do a couple of things and going out, the animals were so excited, particularly the parrots. They were like, I get to see all these people Get to do something again.
1: Well, especially being social creatures like parrots are, they really, they're down with that.
0: Yeah, and the monkey was thrilled. And so, yeah, the social, uh, I had no idea how much it impacted the animals. Going to those fairs, they actually have a huge enrichment value to the animals. They, huh. they get different enclosures, different smells, different activities, different sounds. But um, yeah, I've, uh, I've noticed we've got to take the animals out a lot more here at the house, which has been uh, more relaxing for me. Because I'm not having to watch that there's people all around.
1: Yeah, because you never know when somebody's going to try and stick a finger in the cage, and I mean, yes, these are fair. And And listen, I would say, well, that's you know, that's life at the county fair. But the fact is, I've seen people do stupid stuff at Disney World. So it just doesn't. Whether you're spending seven dollars or or a hundred dollars on the ticket for the day, that's just people. That doesn't.
0: That doesn't increase the intelligence factor. And I think I've seen really smart people do really dumb things. But,
1: oh, yeah. I mean, you get in the moment and you're like, oh, look at this cute little binturong. And all of a sudden you have, you know, four fingers instead of five. (laughs) Knock on wood,
0: that doesn't happen. But yes. Well, and you're also, you've
1: also been very careful over the years with your enclosures that you have enclosures that if there needs to be an offset between the people and the animal, there is.
0: There is. Yep. Yep. We, uh, and make it look like it's not uh intentional, but you know that it's far enough away they can't reach, even if they try lifting their kid up and hand- yeah. handing them over to the animal. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. Here, here, giant uh Python. Here's my yeah. six year old. What do you think? Here,
0: pet- uh, alligator. Now it, feels
1: like, it feels like you guys were one of the first attractions uh within the industry right out of the gate to start shifting and putting content on to Facebook and Instagram and whatnot. You're doing your Facebook lives how tell us about that process for you guys from going to educating at a fair to educating in front of a camera
0: so uh it it, we that we're still working on it how to reach out and touch someone through the screen it's a um huge challenge it's different word um since you know putting together in different word phraseology i guess uh, asking for a response because a lot of people are used to watching TV and not talking to a TV. So uh, we have learned that we have to be real proactive in getting information out of our audiences. And every time we sit down and we do have weekly meetings, we exp- try to work for different, um, let's try this, let's work on this. And um, we've been charting what works better for us. So um, uh, because my staff wasn't packing and driving and getting the fairs in different locations, we reallocated the time of what those people were going to be doing. So everybody took a different segment of what they were going to work on, whether it was Twitter, Instagram, reprogramming those live programs into a, if you will, a vault of different educational programs that we could pick out and use again, edit for uh, different promo stuff or different gee whiz, did you know days. And everyone jumped on and thank goodness they're young because as you know my technology experience can be quite trying. Uh, I'm learning old dog learning new tricks. Here are some of the tricks I learned. First of all, a lot of our equipment's old and if you're going to do virtual stuff. um, I hate to say it but you got to upgrade. We got to get stuff that's working fast and furious. But your equipment's only as good as you are, and I am not the best. so it's nice when I have my staff around and guide me.
1: Well, and I also, was gonna ask if that if the production was difficult to get going or was it just as simple as pointing an iPhone uh, and pressing the button. but it sounds like you had a little more to it than that.
0: Well, we started with the iPhone and then realizing that the iPhone quality camera is really great, but the sound sucked. Uh, the sound was inadequate and so that, <laughs> no it uh, sucks. It sucks <laughs> you can say for- that. <laughs> and so then we started miking up, and then we learned that if the boom mic's not right in front of the person and the animals are moving, that is a challenge. So working animals on television is a challenge. Uh, realizing that if you're doing this in the zoo kitchen, there's an echo factor, people coming in and out. So we moved a studio into our intern room. We have an intern uh, dormitory, if you will, that's a, two bunk beds and a kitchenette. All of that came out, we put in uh, padded walls and turned into a studio. Then we learned quickly that a 10 by 14 room is too small for all the people in the equipment. And um, it's really fun. I should put it on a progression because now my uh, whole media room that was my television room and all the recliner chairs for when we had kids and they watched football games and everything. All of those are out. This whole room is now a production studio. Oh man, I've taken so- a
1: nap in one of those chairs.
0: <laughs> yes you have <laughs> and, and that whole room is now a studio with lighting and uh, sound and backdrops and tvs and screens and all kinds of stuff so teleprompters so many things so it it's neat how we've evolved but i could help people by letting them know if, if you can start small think big because you will grow into it quickly
1: yeah i agree I mean, the first time, first podcast I ever started was just on a, on a iPhone and then yeah. um, started with some, you know, use that video camera on a, on a phone. And then, you know, here I am with a television production degree. I know the equipment I need, but affordability becomes an issue. I would just say to people, if you're sitting there at home going, oh, but I've only got an iPhone eh, I really start can't with that. start with yeah. it and start yeah. with it. And if, it, you know, if you're worried about the audio, You can go on Amazon and get a a road mic or a a lavalier mic that'll just clip on. And they're between like 20 and 60 bucks that will dramatically increase your audio quality and go from there. The one thing I I tell fairs over and over again, because I heard one fair say once, we only put out um, content on our Facebook page that is of the highest quality to which I said, that is not your decision to make. And they said, well, no, it's our page. No, no, no your we as the producers are not the arbiter of quality the consumer is if you've got a grainy video that people love and it goes viral with 10 million views they deem that a quality piece of content so You're right yes so it's i just material. say
0: it's not necessarily the quality it's the material you have within yeah yes Agreed. so
1: you know um there's a, a social media marketing guy out there brian fanzo um, I social fans across, you know, all the platforms, his whole, whole motto is press the damn button. Like, so if you're out there going yeah, mm-hmm. but what can I do? I don't have the best quote, press the button and start and, yep. and just get going. And then as you go, Oh, okay, now I'm used to this, you get some more money, maybe you get to change your equipment up, but get started now. It's like investing. It really is Uh start when you're young. Um,
0: yeah. And, And the whole thing is, I know nothing, ask your friends, they know a lot. And uh, like even this morning when you were working with me and just hearing you walk me through a few things, it was great. Cause then I'm like, oh yeah, I know that, but takes you out of the frustration point and puts you in control and you're doing it. So yeah. Well,
1: and and we've basically, what I tell people, if you're not sure how to do something, my first question is, do you like reading information or do you like watching information? And if they like right. reading information, I tell them there's this really fabulous website. It's called Google. And you type in, <laughs> how do Anything. I do Facebook live? How do I caption my videos? How do? If you like watching, that's how I take information. The second largest search engine on the planet is YouTube. You YouTube. go to YouTube, YouTube type me. the exact same thing in, only you're going to get a video tutorial of it. Yep. I have a
0: 52 Dodge and I learned how to change the oil on it by watching YouTube.
1: Oh yeah. I, 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 when all hell broke loose and, and money got really tight, the, um, the back window of my wife's SUV, it's, you know, power window and it broke, you know, the regulator inside broke. And I was like, oh man, I call up the dealership said, Hey, this is the, you know, making the year and model and whatnot. And it was going to be like $325. And I went on YouTube, and I was like, "There's got to be a no, way. This is not. This is not rocket science. I'm just changing a part." I went on YouTube. I watched a 15 minute video, which, conveniently, I forget who it was O'Reilly or whoever had put that video out. Oh, by the way, here's a link to this part. It's it's 55. Boom. Two days later, it was express delivered for and you, know, you Feel
0: like a genius.
1: And I'm like, I just saved like 300 bucks. So yeah, I mean, YouTube, so YouTube, things. definitely your friends, Carla, with the, um, the, the cancellation of pretty much all of our conventions, which anybody listening to this knows that that's where we do the lion's share of our business and our booking. That's where we meet our fair contacts. That's where we, you know, pitch our shows. We do our showcases. Those are gone now for this year, or they're going to be modified in some virtual fashion. <clears throat> so nobody knows what, from our standpoint what the effectiveness of that's going to be as far as booking goes and i think with so much uncertainty in the future i don't think anybody knows what booking is going to look like for a while what are your thoughts yeah, on how are we
0: booking yeah I mean, what
1: are your thoughts on how acts should be marketing for 2021 and beyond
0: Well, and what I've been doing since the very beginning, and maybe not as well, but the Facebook Live and social media stuff is keeping our face, our presence out there. And I think even if you don't know how to approach this, because um, I'm this is me talking to me, if you don't know how to approach what's happening this year, keep your face out there. And also collaboratively, keep connected to people. Just talking this is the most creative industry. I mean, there's a ton of creative industries, but these are people that figure out how to hit trash cans with drumsticks and make money at it. Yeah. These are people, you know, these and are not have to travel with
1: the trash can. They just fly and go buy them at Home Depot when they get to the location.
0: And leave them there for their client to have a trash can when they're done. Right. Or a guy that stands in a box and tells fortunes. And I mean he's these a, are he's amazing, a nerd. creative people. <laughs> But who would think these are making a living, but if we can connect and keep our collaborative connective thoughts and we talk and we partnership together, I think we are going to turn this industry into something even more unique. But um, I've had entertainer friends tell me, go, well, I just don't translate well on video and I am not a, I'm not a virtual act. I'm an in-person act. I mean, I have, You know, I do roping, let's just say, and on a rope, how big does that have to be to catch the whole image? Well, let's all talk about it. Maybe we can come up with ideas. Panoramic setting on your iPhone.
1: You know, there you go.
0: Just see, and you might've just solved a huge problem for that one person by that really quick, interesting, really? Or or if you have an an iPhone,
1: if you have the iPhone 11 or the new 12, it's got the wide angle setting on it. Of course, I'm, I know the Droid owners out there are going to be like, we've had that for five years. Apple did it second. Right. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, again, you can go to YouTube and go, how do I take interesting photos with my iPhone? And I've seen tutorials and stuff just come across Instagram that I'm like, I might need to upgrade to the 11 because they, you know, there's some options where you set the camera to wide angle, but you flip the camera upside down and put it down low. And you get some really interesting, uh, uh, you know, perspective on the photo and, and then you can, you know, clean it up with a little filter, some color on it or something. And, and all of a sudden you've got a really interesting photo instead of just a snapshot.
0: And here you and I are now talking about a interesting visual, right? Which we were doing person to person, but now we're doing over a different medium and, um, I think that's the stuff we're learning, being collaborative that way and, yeah. and and keeping creativity and imagination and the human connection. I mean, hey, I love gardening, but I love telling people about my gardening. So there, there's just something to it. We need to stay connected. And I think that is how we are going to progress. Just hearing that now, I want to go look at Cause I have an X and maybe now I need a
1: 12. I don't know. Damn, yeah, no, I'm, got I've got the coming. XR and I'm thinking of going to the 11. Just when I started to see those, some of the photos coming out cause, they, cause the XR doesn't have the wide angle. And I'm like, that's hey. pretty cool. I could, and already I, I saw that tutorial on Instagram and I was like, at least 15 different shots of Conjure came to mind that I'm like, that would be epic. That. And it's just- And that it, would be
0: worth, yeah. It, yeah, it
1: would definitely be worth it. If you think about it, how many of our photos and in mine are the same way. Cause a lot of times the photos I put out are, are guest photos that they sent me go, Oh, we saw you at OC fair or whatever. Here's this cool picture that I'll share that. But how many of our photos in our, in our streams when we're looking at the timeline is just a snapshot of something. Well, if you start, if you look at Instagram and you look at the profiles, the photography profiles that have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of, of likes and followers, They're the ones that take the extra five minutes or 10 minutes of production on that photo that make it more than just, here's a snapshot of me with fall colors. Now it's, it literally looks like a portrait and it might've only taken the iPhone 11 and, you know, probably a free app download or, or the Adobe Lightroom download. That's really basic. And, and I look at it from a marketing standpoint that humans are simple. We really are. We communicate via spoken word written word uh still photos or moving moving images Yep. whichever like, and that's what i would say to that person that says oh i'm not really good at taking i'm not good on video well you might not be good on video but do you look good on a still photo do you write really well? do you you know can you write eloquently about your experience in this industry that's captivating that gets people to read it every week that you post something? Because I think you know yep. about I want to say in July or August, I sent out um, some emails that just said, hey, you know, as we're winding down 2020 and you're starting to look to 2021, here's you know, and I try to do some marketing big fat thud, you know, not a single response on it. And, and I realized at some point somebody's, you got to test the water. You got to see what's going on. Exactly. But I think the problem we're seeing right now, and this is in talking to a lot of the fair managers so far in this podcast, there's so much unknown they're tending to hold off um, until they know more. Like normally (laughs) you could be booked a year, two years, you know, nine months in advance I think 21 and 22, you might see some bookings that are as close as, you know, a, a two to three months in advance because they want to wait to commit until they know that they're going to have an event and I don't blame yep. them for that. So I think I we, sh- yeah, yep. I think we shift our marketing to, it's not a matter of getting the contract now. It's a matter of staying um, top of mind.
0: Yep. Top of mind. And that's, that's the perfect word. I, I didn't have a word for it, but that's it. Top of mind. And also what I'm working on are packages that are, and I, I, you know, who would have even known what COVID compliant meant, but COVID compliant. um, And one day it will morph into a different word where it's just a bit of a cleaner, more social, more pod oriented, Steve, all these words that never were. But um, we're gonna be finding that that's how we are going forward with larger events. So that's what I dream about at night, how to bring uh, excitement, conservation, animals, uh, my enthusiasm reaching through the screen. I'm thinking how to get those projects going. Now, the drive-through option, I'm thinking, oh, that's pretty cool. Don't just think about fair time. Think about what fairs bring to the community. Think about that's a if it's a fairgrounds it's there year round let's do some events because they want people keeping them in the forethought too so they are our partners we are not just people that work for a fair we are fairgrounds and entertainers that make a social community event and that's really where we need to go with this we need to stop just saying hey the fair canceled me okay so now let's talk to the fairgrounds and make it an activity that we're working
1: with yeah Yeah. So it's, I feel like we can sit here and be, you know, head down sad about this uh, or we can say, all right, this sucked. We, we got punched in the mouth. We got knocked down. How do we figure out to move forward? And it it has been challenging for a lot of us this year. Um, Fair managers that I'm had a couple of fair managers. You could tell they were even reminiscing back about that decision they made with their, in their boardroom or, or via zoom at that point with their board you could see they were even now they were choking up because it's a really emotional thing for them. Um, I think it's, it's important,
0: sweat and tears. Yeah.
1: Oh, it is. Absolutely. And I think it's important for us to make sure we're keeping in touch with our friends and fair managers and checking on people. Um, you know, sometimes that one phone call can make a difference. H- have you been able to keep in touch with some of your friend your fair friends and fair managers and, and check on them? And if you have, how do you, what's kind of the vibe and how are they're they're holding up
0: um i do that's my whole big thing i'm like hey stay in contact with your friends reach out call and check in and uh, people do it to me and when they do it to me i just know how good i feel you reaching out to me made me go yay thank you someone you know y- you have some um it gives validity to what you have done. So that's a beautiful thing. And Or just calling to see how someone's feeling. Uh, I'm always dreaming of, hey, can you come stay here with me for a while? (laughs) I need people to come, but I don't know know how people feel about that. Uh, It's super important. And yes, I try doing it all the time. And then for me, usually it's even as quick as sending a little stupid joke or answering someone's meme contest or texting. I don't like going down the rabbit hole with uh, Facebook all the time. I do do that either I read a book or I look at Facebook but I try to only do it for a certain amount of time. But that's really where I connect with my people on Instagram and Facebook and just answering and liking and doing all of that but the phone calls really do mean a lot
1: well and it's that rabbit hole you talk about can be pretty vicious this year i mean with it being an election year
0: um
1: (laughs) it can i'm you know we're for the anybody listening to the podcast we're recording this here on what are we the 29th of october so hopefully another week and we'll I'm, I'm mm-hmm. at the point where I don't care who wins. I just want all the nonsense over. I'm tired of the ads. I'm right. tired of the, you know, Doesn't it forward. feel like
0: our life has been put on pause so we can hear people fight about who's smarter or dumber than the other person. It's oh, just they're really definitely irritating.
1: fighting. They're definitely, it's a race to the bottom with this election year. What about you overall? Idiot. How are, how are you holding up personally? We talked about your business, but how is Carla holding up?
0: Well, um, digging into my retirement, uh, that was a, a hard one. But then I decided, you know, the United States is a pretty amazing uh, place and there's not a lot of people. So I went outdoors. That's where I get my solace and um, center. So I've been doing a lot of hiking and outdoors and um, escaping literally by going outside and being with nature. So as soon as I feel like that sucker punch is Disabling me, I do my very best to roll outside, and that's been helping. I put my hands in the dirt, have some pretty uh, badass garden growing. I'm getting certified as a certified farmer's market uh, participant. So, I've been trying to think of other things. I've let creative uh, juices flow. I've got a whole new marketing thing that's called Tail Waggers Barkery, and I bring dog treats and sell them at the farmer's market. Um, because we can do that now in San Diego. So a whole bunch of fun things. Uh, as soon as I think it's sad, I think really, it's given me opportunity to be more time with my family, spend more time with the animals and money is money. I, I lived without it for a lot of years. I've saved it up and thank goodness I did. So yeah, yeah. I'm doing good, but good. you know, some days are tough days. Some days are tough.
1: Yeah. that You know, some are, are, uh, more difficult than others. When I I was talking with Linnell Smith from the Sydney Royal Easter show for one of the issue uh, editions of the show we did. And she referred to this as a grief process. And then, and that just kind of hit different when she said it, because, you know, part of me, I feel like because we don't really get straight answers from, from Fauci or the federal government or the state government, or, you know, all of a sudden, you know, part of me just wants to be pissed off that yeah. there's such a level of incompetence. And then, when she said, you know, she's been grieving, it was like, you know, that really is what this is. And, and where am I in that process? And how do I feel about that When when that was just the other day? And, you know, the last couple of days, just thinking that over, I felt a weight come off of my shoulders, because I feel like all of a sudden, I've given myself permission that it's okay to be really sad about this. It's and openly sad about it. It's okay to feel Kind of angry about how this has been handled, it's okay to uh, feel relieved that I'm in a position where you know my at least Sarah's still working, and so we've still got our mortgage covered, and not everybody's in that position. So it really very rapidly shifted me back to a place of gratitude and just being grateful that you know at this point I do still have my health and I we have our home and our my family's healthy. And you know, I think once you start shifting back to gratitude, it's it's hard to have a bad day at that point. Yep,
0: yeah, I, I agree. And and um, it, it is okay to go outside and yell, oh, effity, FFF, uh, happy that I'm okay now. <laughs> you know, just, you can have two emotions, three or four emotions in a day, but always be grat- uh, grateful for what we do have. Like you said, still have a house. Uh, I still have some beautiful animal friends and people that care about them. And yeah, my kids and my husband are great. So
1: yeah. Yeah, And how, how is Mike holding up?
0: Mike's great. He, he uh, thinks retirement's fun.
1: He seems to me every time I've, I've visited with him and, and chat with him, he seems to me to be one of the most level-headed guys that just rolls with the punches more than anybody I've almost ever met.
0: Uh, Really good for me because I'm highly spirited and very pulled by emotions. So
1: um, highly spirited. I like the the way you put that. He
0: holds the kite string, you know, (laughs) keeps me from flying off my handle and going places I shouldn't go. So
1: that's yes. (laughs) What are some of the positives you see coming out of this pandemic? Because there's got to be silver linings for you.
0: Uh. I think um, we were getting to a huge consumer consumption, everything, you know, you needed more, bought more, did more, did. It's really brought things down for my family and my business, keeping things much more simple, uh, basic. So that's what I'm taking out. I don't need all that extra crap and I don't need to buy anything. And um, we've really thinned out on, we had a whole fleet of cars. We don't need all of that. Fact is, for a while, the insurance company was my best employer. They kept sending me refund checks because we would um, unoff a car or truck because we're not putting any miles on them this year, and then we were getting refunds. So that was kind of cool. But uh, I learned a ton. What I what I thought was going to kill us didn't. Uh, we're not paying gas, so the money is being saved in certain respect and. Ex- It's just a whole bunch of things I wasn't, I know what my bottom line is now. I thought I knew what it was, but now I really know what it costs to run this operation because it's been pared down and um, I can look at it and I'm not distracted being on the road. So I've learned probably more lessons than I learned my whole entire life in one year. And I think I'm mature enough now to handle it at some point. Um, growing my business. I was very once, you know, minded. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what it's going to do. I'm going to do this because I feel passionately about it. But now I know the money end of it. I know the passion end of it. And I know we're blessed to be able to do this in a creative way. I'm not stuck in a building and, um, and everybody has a voice in my company. Uh, And I, I know my employees feel that way too, because their content is really developing and showing. So, so many, it's been a positive. It's, now looking back, it is a huge positive. Uh, April, May, it wasn't a positive; it was stinking ridiculous. But now it's um, it's really put things in better perspective of life.
1: Yeah, it it better definitely balance. has it has for us too. I mean, the you talk about knowing your bottom line, and you know, I used to, we keep pretty tight spreadsheets on what I'm spending when I'm out on the road, and every from fuel to you know, food on the road. And, and so I know what I'm spending, but in, you know, until you realize how much by not spending that, because we're not out on the road, how much it actually offsets your loss. All of a sudden I'm like, yo, when we go back out on the road, there is a way to tighten this even more. We, we can really reevaluate that budget and, you know, the, the transportation budget and, and cost of doing business budget. And I, you know, I saw something on Facebook, it's it's come across all social media, you know, everywhere um, several times this year, but it's something to the effect that if you're the same person, when this pandemic is over as you were, when you started, then you messed up, you know? Yeah. I don't know where you were.
0: Yeah. And, uh,
1: I think we all change. I think, um, this is, has, it taught me a little bit of uh, humility, you know, for an entertainer, it's that's can be a tough pill to swallow. And all of a sudden you're like, well, um, yeah, this is, this is how life's going to be. And, you know, what do you do, but you have to just, you know, learn from it and figure out how you adjust and move forward. So I appreciate having you on the show today before we go, everyone I have on the show does a little speed round of questions, little five or six questions that I'll ask. And you just give me, give me an answer off top of your head. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Question number one what's your favorite thing about the fair
0: people
1: people awesome corn My dogs Friends, people yeah oh yeah i agree corn dogs or a turkey leg corn dog who is the, your first celebrity crush
0: oh tom cruise
1: tom cruise fair <laughs> enough uh first concert you ever attended do you remember Foreigner. Yes. Foreigner. Nice. And Star Wars or Star Trek? Wars, Star Wars. Uh, I don't know if we can keep being friends, Carla. (laughs) (laughs) I I love them both, but I'm a, I'm a Star Trek kid. Um, and if money was no issue, what's the first place you'd travel after the pandemic ends? Hmm.
0: That should be quick and it's not coming quick. Um,
1: to go see my son in seattle yep sounds good family's always a good thing carla you're an amazing human and honestly your attraction uh you're both of all of your attractions are consistently um among the most professional and high quality in our industry if folks want to learn more about bugology or your other attractions where can they find more information
0: uh, PacificAnimalProductions.com productions.com is our webpage we're also on uh, instagram and facebook also uh our webpage has been developed so you can go to fairs and click on that and then we also have other different headings that you can check out our chief teacher resources and lots of other fun things so you oh, so you, you, have, so you much, have
1: educator Robert. you have educator resources on the website too absolutely yeah oh, that's fantastic Free. awesome pacific yeah. Carla, thanks for coming on the show today.
0: Thank you. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.